Well, howdy, Hoodoo Thunkers. This is the host of the Hoodoo Thunkin' podcast coming at you with episode 133. My name is Zeb, and this uh, episode is called Nightmare in Cambodia. Fair warning, this is not a happy story, uh, but let's get into it. First, let's do a little announcement. I would like to apologize to you, Hoodoo Thunkers. We are now two weeks into the month of October, and I am just now starting the Hoodoo Thunkin' Fright Fest. The first two years of the podcast, during the month of October, I've only released episodes that were horrifying or creepy in nature to basically go along with Halloween and build up to it. Yet last week, the first episode of October 2022, I released an episode about Leif Erikson, the explorer Viking who was the first European to set foot on the New World. While a cool character, Leif's story is not typically seen as a scary one. So I was just so excited to host my very first Leif Erikson party at my house that I had to do an episode right before Leif Erikson Day goes into the history of it, and it was fun. The party was a smash hit, and the, I thought the episode was pretty cool. But fear not, or do fear a lot, for the 2022 Who to Thunk It Fright Fest starts now. First, let's go to the recommendation segment. This week's recommendation segment ties directly into the main event. I suggest you watch the original 1984 Nightmare on Elm Street. I'll talk more about it in the main event, um, but if you've already seen Nightmare on Elm Street, it's a classic. You probably have. Watch it again. If you haven't, check it out. It's truly horrifying. Let's jump right into the main event here, Nightmare on Elm Street itself. Have you ever seen the movie Nightmare on Elm Street? The 1984 horror classic directed by the legendary Wes Craven has sparked a movie franchise spanning over four decades now. If you haven't seen it, you have mostly heard of it um, with the main antagonist, Freddy Krueger. Here's a summary of the plot. Several Midwestern teenagers fall prey to Freddy Krueger, played by Robert Englund, a disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which, in turn, kills them in reality. After investigating the phenomenon, Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, Camp, uh, begins to suspect that a dark secret kept by her and her friend's parents may be the key to unraveling the mystery. But can Nancy and her boyfriend Glenn, played by Johnny Depp, solve the, pu the puzzle before it's too late? Yeah, a young Johnny Depp is in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Pretty cool little added tidbit there. I was first introduced to the movie franchise by a hokey, subpar crossover movie called Freddy vs. Jason. I was a teenager and thought it was kind of cool to watch two slasher horror bad guys go up against each other. Uh, but trust me, the movie isn't that great, not compared to the original. The many, many sequels and spin-off movies that came after the 1984 original Nightmare on Elm Street were more hokey and leaned into the comedy aspect of the slasher horror genre. But let me tell you, the original is just downright terrifying. Last year, I watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, and it is both a cinema marvel and horrifying at the same time. When Freddy's hand reaches right out of the bathwater, um, I think my body stiffened on the couch. I was so scared, and I simultaneously said to Shannon, that is freaking genius. It just really puts you in the perspective, such a vulnerable spot when you're in a bathtub taking a bath, and all of a sudden you're, you fall asleep and there's Freddy's hand, so it's terrifying. But what if I told you Wes Craven based his classic horror on real-life events? The real-life inspiration for this iconic horror film was a family that survived the Cambodian genocide in, in the 1970s. Yeah. So let's go into that. What was the Cambodian massacre and the genocide in the 1970s? What happened? Well, it all starts with a guy named Pol Pot. In 1925, a small Cambodian village called Prexpalv, a, it's probably not at all how you pronounce that, but let's just 
the, the village of Prek, uh, a man named Saloth Sar was born. He was the eighth of nine children. They were born into a well-off landowning family, farming family, that owned about 50 acres of rice paddy fields. And this amount of land was over 10 times the national average uh, of people of what people owned at the time. So he's, you know, pretty well off. But during his childhood, Cambodia was under French colonial rule, a rule that was not supported by many of the Cambodian people. In school, Salosar got hor horrible grades. You know, he was terrible at school, bad test taker, not very smart. His wealthy parents were worried that their son wasn't going to fare well as an adult if he lacked the means to excel in his education education career. But he did pick up at least one thing while in school, interest and passion that aligned with the revolutionary Cambodian com communists seeking independence from the French colonial rule. So he was influenced while he was in school, even though he didn't learn much. As he got older, he spent less time in school and more time with communist revolutionists, revolutionists giving himself the name Pol Pot. It's short for the French phrase politique potentiel, uh, meaning potential politics. His moniker reflected his dedication from then on in his life. Spending all of his time on communist politics and none in school, Pol Pot began to fail exams, he had his scholarships revoked, and he uh, conveniently agreed to go to Cambodia on behalf of his communist student group to assess the political situation back home. Most likely, he knew he couldn't hack it in school and left uh, the life of a student behind. He returned home in 1953, the same year Cambodia gained independence from its French oppressors. And what happens when a ruling force leaves a large population, you might ask? Well, a power vacuum is left in its wake. That happens all the time. Some of uh, uh, ruling powers there, they leave, and there's a vacuum left open, and people are going to take it quick. Uh, in the 1956, Pol Pot uh, starts teaching in private schools, influencing the country's youth from 1956 to 1963. He teaches history, geography, and French literature. Great. A guy who dropped out of college now teaching people. But, you know, he did. His parents did pay for some education. Maybe some got through that skull of his. While teaching, Pol Pot is a major player in the Cambodian Communist Party. He's the party's secretary in 1960, spreading his own vision of Marxist-Leninism. Everything was going great for Pol Pot. He was a teacher by day and a communist revolutionary by night. But then the monarchy in, in charge of Cambodia at the time took notice of Pol Pot and his communist party and didn't like what they saw. The monarchy began to seek out the communists and drove them deeper into the jungle, turning a political party into full-blown full revolutionaries because now they're on the run. During this time in the jungle, Pol Pot met a group of Viet Cong soldiers from the Vietnam War with America and South Vietnam. Pol Pot, his scattered bunch of guerrilla fighters in the Viet Cong, got along well and joined forces. With their forces combined, they became the Khmer Rouge guerrilla army. Pol Pot now had a full-fledged army at his disposal, and in 1968, the Khmer Rouge set out to overthrow Cambodia's monarchy and did a damn fine job of it. Pol Pot, like many influential dictators, was very persuasive and charismatic. His followers were diehard revolutionaries, willing to do whatever their leader commanded. One can draw similarities between Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler and how they ran their regimes, basically creating a cult of personality and getting people to just worship him and every word he said, even though it wasn't very logic at times. In 1970, a chaotic and devastating civil war broke out in Cambodia. Um, that was Pol Pot's involved in that. Like most wars, it was complicated, but basically Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge were up against the country's military leader, General Null. 
but also the U.S. was involved because Nixon wanted to root out the Viet Cong in Cambodia by sending 70,000 troops and dropping 500,000 tons worth of bombs on Cambodia. As I said, it's complicated and chaotic. And where some see despair and chaos, um, people like Pol Pot see opportunity. All of this violence just led more and more people to join the Khmer Rouge regime. All the chaos is going on. In it, he sees the opportunity to overthrow the government. On April 17th of 1975, after a brutal siege and starvation campaign on the capital, Pol Pot had become the leader of Cambodia. Full-fledged, he's head at the very tippy-top of Cambodia. Everyone was hoping the country would cool down for a bit after all that violence of the Civil War and the U.S.'s bombing campaign, but that didn't happen. Pol Pot was in power now. He got to work creating the, his idea of a utopia which many people would not describe it as such. Pol Pot wanted to bring the country back to its roots, a nation built on farming. He wanted to cultivate a grassroots farming community on a national scale. It's not a bad idea on paper, but it's how he went about doing it that truly horrified people. He set his sights on the urban areas. The educated elite and the urbanites were his targets. First, he evacuated the cities. Why? Doctors, lawyers, and civil servants were forced into quote-unquote re-education camps where they had to basically say, yes, we agree with what you're doing, cool, whatever. They had to give up everything they owned to the government and work themselves to death in Cambodia rice, rice paddies. I mean, their hours were brutal. Um, already farmers were fine for the most part, um, but if you were any went through any kind of academic, you went to college, you graduated high school, there's a good chance you were going to be forced to have to go work in the rice fields. I remember the first time I heard about all this, I kept thinking how counterproductive it all sounded. Education is good. I mean, it can be used for bad, but education is what propels a country forward. New technologies, new ways of doing things. Yet here is this cruel moron in power basically gutting the education of his own country. Any resistance that was dealt with uh, was dealt with by means of torture. Anyone trying to change the anti-education policy or even complain about it would be tortured until they complied or were just killed off. There was the uh, S21 uh, detention center. It was a former high school and the most notorious of Pol Pot's re-education centers. Out of the 18,000 known prisoners that were sent to S21, only 23 survived. The Khmer Rouge interrogation agents were given torture manuals with instructions. There was even a statement, our experience in the, this is a quote here from this, these manuals, our experience in the past has been that our interrogators, for the most part, tended to fall on the torture side. However, we must nevertheless strive to do politics to get them, get them always and absolutely to confess to us. Only once have, have we pressured them politically, only when we have put them in a corner politically and have gotten them to confess, will torture become productive? Torture becoming productive. It's just bad. They had, they had manuals. The, uh, the quite interesting things here, Pol Pot society was hell. You know, he hated education, educated people so much and was such a small-minded idiot himself that he often sent people to his torture centers if they just were wearing glasses, as if glasses make someone smart. Pol Pot banned things like private property, jewelry, religion, gambling, and reading. You can't read books. If you were caught with any of these outlawed things, you were tortured to death. So, you're part of a religion, tortured to death. You, 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 you're reading, 
I don't know, a children's book, tortured to death. You own literally anything tortured to death. So let's say you were lucky enough to fly under the Khmer Rouge's radar when you're living in Cambodia. None of Pol Pot's lackeys ever came to your village, and no one you knew was ever sent to a torture center. It's rare, but it's possible. Some people were lucky that way. Well, you weren't off scot-free, because Pol Pot got rid of all the civil servants and educated people in his country. Big surprise, the government started to be run poorly. Food shortages and mismanagement led to widespread famines. If you were lucky enough to escape the torture, you would most likely have died by starvation and had your body dumped into a mass grave that would come to be known as the Cambodian Killing Fields. Despite his government not having any semblance of democracy, Pol Pot changed Cambodia's name to the Democratic, the, the Democratic Kampuchea. So he had all these weird rules that he, that he put into place, like why change the name of the country? to democratic Kampuchea. It's not a democracy. This idiot didn't even know what a democracy was. He controlled who and how his citizens could have sex, wear clothing, and accept words, words that were acceptable to be used. You couldn't even say certain things. It was like an Orwellian nightmare. Causing another mass uh, halting of food production, Pol Pot ordered all the rice fields to be aligned in a checkerboard pattern. This stunt worsened the famine, causing thousands more to die, and he did it all so the fields that he saw when he took a drive would resemble the country's coat of arms. On their coat of arms, the fields are nice and checkered pattern. He said, you know what? Do that with all the rice fields. Didn't care about how much it would halt production, how many rice, rice plants would die. Didn't care. Didn't matter to him. He stocked the ranks of his Khmer Rouge army by abducting children and forcing them to fight in his army lest they be executed. So... Hey, let me take your kid. You have no choice, by the way. I'm going to take your kid. He's going to fight for me, becoming, you know, joining my army, murder people for me, torture people for me. And if you disagree, I'm just going to kill him right here. Pol Pot set out to create his vision of a classless utopia by creating rivers of blood and millions of deaths. The Khmer Rouge, a hardline communist command, terrorized the Southeast Asia country from 1975 to 1979, killing between 1.7 million to 3 million people. That's a lot of death. And this is where our story ties into the Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Again, the summary of the movie is, several people are hunted by a cruel serial killer who kills his victims in their dreams. When the survivors are trying to find the reason for being chosen, the murderer uh, won't lose any chance to kill them as soon as they fall asleep. But the real-life inspiration was arguably more horrifying because it actually happened. A family that fled Cambodia during Pol Pot's reign witnessed and fought through many horrors to finally get to uh, safety. They flew to the United States, and they made it. You know, good news. Although they were no longer in physical danger, the entire family was plagued by the trauma they had just endured. The worst case was that of their youngest son. He had such vivid nightmares that he was convinced that, quote-unquote, they would come for him if he fell asleep. The boy refused to fall asleep, depriving himself of it for too long uh, to the point of hallucination. Days passed before the family was finally able to get their son to sleep, and they thought, good, he's finally asleep. Even though this family safely fled to the United States, they, like many Cambodian refugees at the time, were plagued by their traumatic memories. Wes Craven says in an interview, quote, he told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. So he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought uh, this crisis was over. 
Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. Here was a youngster having a vision of horror, a vision of a horror that everyone older was denying. That became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street. The LA Times has written many articles on Pol Pot's massacres in Cambodia and, more importantly, you know, from the LA's perspective, the traumatic effect it has had on the survivors. This is from these next couple paragraphs from the LA Times. Four months ago, a refugee, Chan, knew shot his wife. Uh, four months ago, a refugee that Chan knew shot his wife and himself to the to death in front of his the couple's four horrified children. Patients have come to the clinic uh, carrying guns they refuse to relinquish, afraid of security guards because of their uniforms. And it is not uncommon, the psychologist said, for for. Cambodian refugees to suffer severe headaches, dizziness, disorientation, poor memory, depression, insomnia, body aches, irritability, and hallucinations. Some, he says, hear the voices of dead relatives calling to them. This article was written in the 80s, about a decade after Pol Pot's reign, um, and th all these things are still happening. They took my brother away, said Rao Im, 53, speaking in a choked voice through an interpreter. They tied him to a chair and beat him with a brick. They then cut him open and took out his liver. Said a poker-faced Saurion Su, uh, 41, My two-year-old son got sick. The soldier said he was useless, so they threw him against a bamboo bed and broke his back. Two days later, he died. These were some of the horrors that the Cambodian people suffered. And, you know, decades later, the survivors are still traumatized by it. I think the story of that boy who died in his sleep his own mind convinced him that he was dying. It's tragic and horrifying. Pol Pot committed atrocities that have had rippling effects. Alongside the many terrified survivors and their stories, one of those rippling effects was Wes Craven's movie, Nightmare on Elm Street. And what happened to Pol Pot, you might ask? Well, in 1979, Vietnamese troops stormed Cambodia and captured its capital, Phnom. Uh, they forced Pol Pot and his most loyal subjects back into the jungle. While in the jungle, Pol Pot and his guerrilla Khmer Rouge troops continued military operations through support from the United States and China. And this continued for another decade. This dude was in, had power for another decade, was supported by my own country and China in doing so. Until in 1991, a ceasefire went into effect. And then in 1997, a Khmer Rouge splinter cell captured Pol Pot. The murderous son of a bitch was placed under house arrest until he died a peaceful death from natural causes at the age of 72. Yeah, no, uh, there's no justice in this episode. Some, dicta some dictators do get what's coming to them in their end. Some do not. Pol Pot just sort of fizzled out. <sighs> like I said, not a, not a good, not a good happy story this episode. Um, but I hope you learned something. If you haven't heard of Pol Pot, you're not, you're not the only one. Many people haven't, unlike Hitler and Stalin, Mussolini. He's not the most well-known dictator. However, he, his story is quite gruesome. I hope you did enjoy it. The episode itself. Thanks for listening. Who to thunkers. I'm going to say until next time, uh, because there's no guarantee I'm going to produce an episode next week because I'm getting married. Yep. I'm getting hitched. Um, I know, I know a lot of my listeners are people who do know me personally, so I know quite a few of you, um, are invited to the wedding. Hope to see you next week. Hope to enjoy. If you weren't invited, sorry, uh, trust me, <laughs> don't take it personally. Making, doing a wedding 
is incredibly stressful and expensive. And I invited as many people as I could. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. Uh, I'm getting married next week, so I might come out with something little ditty or not. Anyway, either way, until next time. Thank you.